Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host Miguel Valdez and today I'm here first episode, the first show of the 2019, wow, and I'm here today with my friend Margaret, Margaret can you help me again with your last name? I can help me. I can help me. Yes. Margaret, I think you mentioned to me once your parents are original from, from Nigeria. Nigeria. And so am I. Oh, you also yes, were born there? I was born there. Came here when I was seven. Okay. Yes. Do you have memories? Um, They're more like dreams at this point, but kind of. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're mostly the I mean, it's first been, grade. It's or been 21 years. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. How's your, your 2019 so far? Um, Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm almost like, uh, why? How was it? 2019 it was just 2017, two seconds ago. But yeah, it's, it's going well. It's going well. And where where did you grow up? We're gonna get to meet meet you first, and then we're gonna go and ask about the recognition that you have and the work that you've been doing um, sure. in your career. So, okay. um, well, I grew up in Nigeria, part way. Um, So was born there, came to Atlanta, Georgia when I was seven years old in 1998 um, and grew up there, went to high, um, rest of elementary, middle and high there and went to undergrad there, University of Georgia, go dogs. Um, and then I did a one-year research program at Washington University School of Medicine. I don't know the mascot there, so I can't shout them out, sorry. Um, and then I came to Mayo Clinic to work on my graduate degree in clinical and translational science, specifically health disparities. Um, Margaret, I, I was fortunate to go to a conference to your hometown, to Atlanta, yes. and you were there, and uh, I didn't know about this about you that you're a foodie who you consider yourself a foodie I, you, have, you have a <laughs> I'm a picky foodie but yes I would like I'd like to you know what the thing is for me I like to discover new restaurants and that also come with coupons <laughs> oh okay <laughs> so if there's That's a, a good coupon I will try I will try it I have a list of in my notes called eats and from different cities that I've been to and I'll just type in what's what was good about them I won't even list them if they, it was too expensive I'm like eh, whatever it was fine but it was $30 for a dish I'm not into it but um, yeah I'm, I'm your a foodie tea, you also I'm a cheap tea, foodie. your tea have to be yes. real, real southern sweet tea oh yes absolutely if it doesn't if it's not real southern sweet tea it's it's not sweet I mean is it even sweet tea <laughs> come on <laughs> yeah so what is it Did you get a chance to go back home during the holidays? I did, actually. Um, I So my friend had a wedding in September, and I met some of the bridesmaids and became really good friends with them. So we decided to just hang out in Atlanta for the holiday season. So, uh, Did you check out any hotspots, new hotspots for you? They haven't... Um, yes. There's a new place called Kingston Grill in Atlanta. So good. Authentic Jamaican food. I'd never had Jamaican food before this, so I went and tried it out. And they just, the fusions that they had, they had like jerk chicken tacos and um, 
oh, I can't remember the other the other name, but it was just so good. Oh, that sounds good. Jerk chicken wontons and something else. I don't know. It was amazing. And I had a coupon, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> and a coupon, so that made it just even more delicious. So, That's good. Yeah. yeah. So also to start the new year, you were recognized. You were in an article named uh, Changing the Face of research yes, here yes. At, at Mayo Clinic. Yeah. So can you explain to our audience, uh, to our friends who are listening, what is this um, recognition? What was the work that they were highlighting? Yeah, so to start a little bit before that, um, you know, when I started at Mayo, I wanted to do health disparities research. And, you know, as I moved through different labs, it became more more clear that it, that was going to be a, a bit of a task. It was going to be a little difficult to do that just because of the um, demographics that we have here in Rochester, Minnesota, and the difficulty of having minorities participate in research in general. For somebody who's just listening that term, uh, health disparities Mm, in research, can you paint the picture for them? Sure. So when I say health disparities, I mean that there's a difference in um, how the outcomes of someone's health. So a disparity is a difference in, it is inherently disparity is a difference, a, you know, a bad difference, essentially. Um, so when we talk about health disparity, we talk about, you know, two people go into a hospital and get, may or may not get similar care, but they have the same disease, and but they have different outcomes. And we have to, we have to figure, we have to think about, okay, why is that? And a lot of it has to do with race. Um, you know, a lot of Hispanic and African-American pa- uh, patients don't have the same outcome as their white counterparts in the United States. So that's really the cornerstone of health disparities. And that's what interests me, especially as someone coming from Nigeria who, you know, in Nigeria, back when I was young, I kn- you know, I kind of witnessed um, a fear of going to the hospital. Um, and that exists for minorities in, in the United States here. So I'm going, what is the connection? What What is, what's going on? Why is that a problem? So that's always piqued my interest as a kid. And then um, through a lot of difficulties in undergrad and trying to understand what I wanted to do with my life, that became more and more clear that health disparities was really my passion. So, um, you know, with excellent support at Mayo Clinic, I was able to, you know, meet um, people in the Department of Psychiatry and really starting start to delve deep into a particular health disparities um, that uh, affects bipolar African-Americans, African-Americans that have bipolar disorder. So, you know, in doing that project, um, I, I'm familiar with people in, diverse, in the diversity office as a diverse African-American woman. Um, and they wanted to understand diversity research, and they mentioned, oh, Margaret, um, you know, does some diverse research. So I was lucky in that, you know, my mentors thought of me when this um, article came about. Um, So uh, John Holton was the person that wrote the article, and he um, interviewed me several times about my research and what I thought about health disparities and whether or not it would be is important for someone who is a minority to study uh, minority research, and I think and I told him that it it's important for minorities to be involved in minority research, of course, but it's also important to for those are the, that are the majority to be involved as well because the change won't happen without both parties. The general public, correct. 
Correct. And the, and, you know, the mm-hmm. community as well. So that's, that's how that came about. Um, I found it interesting that, um, you know, when I was being interviewed, he, you know, I had to make sure that <laughs> I was using the language that wasn't so scientific in a sense, you know, because it, it, you have to, when you explain these issues that are affecting community individuals, you have to explain it in a way that they find that it would be important for them to change. Because we as scientists can't just come into the community and say, hey, this is a problem that you have and we need to help you fix it. It's it's a community effort. It's, here's a problem. Do you experience, do you find that, you know, you when you have, you have bipolar disorder but someone told you you have schizophrenia, do you find that to be a problem? Oh, yes, we do, too. That's a problem because you're taking the wrong medication. Um, So let's, you know, sit together and talk about what you think the problem could be and how we could talk to other community members to help everyone understand the importance of research so that you can um, participate in research and trust, start to trust the healthcare system. So what do you find out in your research? Yeah, so... um, you know, with the with the health disparity of bipolar disorder, like I said, you know, a lot of it is outcome based. So in this case, um, it's even before that. This disparity affects the outcome. So, how would you describe somebody with bipolar disorder for somebody who's not familiar okay. with for with that condition? Sure. Somebody with that. Yeah. Condition. So bipolar disorder is a chronic uh, mental illness. Um, and it's marked by two different stages of um, mood. It's called, it's a mood disorder. So you can be manic, which is high energy, um, feeling like you're on top of the world, feeling like you can do anything, um, promiscuous in many ways. Um, and that, the, that manic phase can last, you know, two, between two months and nine months for some people. Oh. Um, dep- and then there's a depressive stage that can also last between two to nine months for um, individuals. So they, you fluctuate between those two stages, and that, and that's why it's bipolar. It's two, it's opposite, Opposites. opposite ends of the pole essentially, um, and that's why it's called bipolar disorder. So as you can imagine, medication for that is to bring you down to the middle so that you're not up and down. You want to stabilize your mood. So the medications for bipolar disorder... Do you you have any idea at what age someone is diagnosed? Very, very good question. Um, It's it's an early onset disease. Um, Individuals, on average, um, early 20s. um, But, you know, there there are um, cases where, you know, 15-year-olds are diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So, you know, when you think about depression, which is part of bipolar disorder, depression usually is um, an, a semi-adolescent, young adult disease as well. So similar to bipolar disorder, um, it starts at that age, but there are adolescent cases as well. So, okay. yeah. yeah. So you, you were invited to review this the study, or you came out with the idea for this project? Yeah, so, you know, as a graduate student, we're... We, we're employed essentially to find a project to do and to, you know, be trained as scientists. And I'm in the clinical and translational science program. So our program, I'm biased, but it's unique in that um, they they um, teach us how to be scientists that are always thinking about the outcomes of our project, how, how how our science affects the public, the patients, and the community. Um, And, and, and in um, 
the community in, in the sense of public health, uh, you know, the, the entire population. And then, you know, how is your research affecting patients in the clinic as well? So that's how we're trained. So in thinking about that, I felt like, okay, the health disparities project would be perfect for me. So I was lucky enough to be introduced to my mentor, who's in the Department of Psychiatry here at Mayo. And, you know, I told him about my interest in health disparities. And he said, you know, there's a Excuse me. There is a particular health disparity where, you know, it, it, there's some literature that talks about African Americans not being diagnosed correctly. They're diagnosed with other other diseases instead of bipolar disorder. So, I was like, well, that's interesting. So, I kind of dug deeper and found a lot of literature saying that this is a problem and it can take up to ten years to correct a diagnosis. So you can imagine, you know, you you have bipolar disorder, but someone told you, no, you have schizophrenia. So here are all these schizophrenia meds that could actually worsen your bipolar disorder symptoms. Um, And you're doing that for 10 years. I mean, uh, that's just unimaginable on top of, you know, other, you know, everyone has things to deal with in life and as a minority in the United States and maybe not having as much access to health care or the meds are expensive, so you don't take anything, you know. They're just Especially so if they're caregivers or the head of the house. Exactly, exactly. Or, I mean, usually individuals with mental illnesses, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but they may not likely to be the caregiver of the house. They may be the person that the caregiver is taking care okay. of. But e- even so... You know, these are individuals that are still trying to lead a life like the rest of us, and they deserve to be on the correct medication and and be stable like the rest of us. And how this research evolve to the project you work in currently? Yeah, so Can you mention a little bit. Yeah, so you know, it, it, that's I, that's why it, one of the reasons I love research. It the evolution of it is very interesting. So we started off talking about the disparity and how we can address it. So normally, you know, we look at disparities research is usually epidemiology-based, and epidemiology is a study of public health. So um, we look at, you know, community trends and social aspects that could be affecting, like, access to health care and things like that. And we wanted to take a unique approach. We wanted to, We wanted to look at other disciplines of research to see if that could address the disparity. So, and that that's talked about a little bit in the article. So we said, okay, bipolar disorder has a lot of genetic aspects to it. It's very heritable, which means that a lot of the causes of the disease can be explained by genetics. So um, we went on a hunt to try to do a genetic study. We tried to say, can we look at the genetics among African Americans and European Americans and see if there's a difference in the disease. On now, that gene, the yeah, on any bipolar. any of the genes that could cause bipolar disorder, is there a difference? And maybe is this, are these genetics making them present differently in the clinic to where it's making it more difficult for doctors to diagnose them with bipolar disorder. Now, backing up a little bit, bipolar disorder is tough to diagnose because you have to because you could present as depressive or manic, okay? You're depre- presenting as depressive if you, don't have, if you don't have that history of, you know, if you don't have a proper history of being able to know and explain your sim- other symptoms, you're going to get diagnosed with depression most likely, right? Mm-hmm. And if you present as manic with psychotic um, aspects, which means, you know, halluc- possibly hallucinations and other things, you might de- get diagnosed with schizophrenia, right? Because 
if you depends the stage that you were. It depends on the stage you're in. If if the doctor doesn't have a proper history of you, or you can't, you know, you're manic. Mm -hmm. They just want to help you become stable. So, um, you know, it's difficult to diagnose anyway, but it's especially misdiagnosed, diagnosed incorrectly in African Americans. So that's that's the major issue. So. Um, we said, you know, are, is there an aspect of genetics that, that can explain how they present in the clinic? Now, I don't want this to turn into, I didn't want this to turn into a eugenics thing where it's like genetics of African-Americans and white people are different. No, it's the genetics that contribute to the disease is that, is, you know, the etiology or the history of that disease different in African-Americans versus European-Americans. Um, so in going to do that research, we discovered that um, the numbers of African-American samples and participants that we have are low, very low. And as you, as you know, for genetics research, you have to have large enough numbers to be able to detect a statistically significant difference. So essentially, that's a complicated way of saying you have to have large enough numbers so that the trend that you're seeing is believable. Because if it's in a small sample size... It is not representative of the larger population. So, you know, and we also did a clinical study, you know, before this to before the genetic study. It's similar as similar question. Are the symptoms that we're seeing different in African-Americans versus European-Americans? And I'm submitting that paper soon. And we're seeing that, you know, African-Americans are describing their symptoms a little bit differently. So there's maybe there's some cultural, cultural aspect to it as well that doctors could be more in tune to. So and those num numbers, there are small, too. So we keep seeing this recurring trend of af low African-American participation in these um, studies. And this is this is um, common in other studies, too, in research in general. And that's, you know, that's normal because of the history, not normal, but that's to be expected mm -hmm. because of the history of the United States. And, you know, a lot of institutionalized racism and access to health care is not there. So, you what know, what about uh, your experience uh, working in this field? Is there a stigma also bigger within the African-American and other diverse communities um, about mental health versus... Absolutely, yeah. There's there's definitely a huge stigma of uh, mental illness. You know, even within my family, um, <laughs> when you're sad, you're it's just you know you're just sad. You'll be fine. You know what I mean? But it could be it could be depression, but it, it doesn't go that far because you just have to bounce back and keep pushing because life is hard and everything's going to be okay. Um, and that may be true for some, but in some, uh, in other cases, it's more serious than that. Um, and we have to really take that into consideration. So the, and then, you know, the stigma also appears in, you know, other diseases as well. And they're seen as crazy. I'm doing air quotes. They're, you know, seen as crazy or they're, or they're just like that. They're just a little bit, you know, eccentric or wild or things like that. So, And, and also a stigma of um, being weak. You know, if you're sad all the time and you can't get things done, you're being lazy and weak and things like that. And that's just not the reality of it. Loss of interest and sadness is a huge marker of depression. And, you know, um, the depressive stage of bipolar disorder, that, uh, that, uh, that takes place there, too. So there's a lot of stigma that has to be addressed, addressed yeah. in this. So... 
so that that could affect that also is an additional aspect that could affect participation in research and the research and the research is meant to address the disparity so there's a disparity there's a disparity within the disparity the disparity yeah. is they're not being diagnosed correctly okay let's do some st- different studies to address that oh wait we can't really do that many studies because we don't have that much research participation so so you, you find out that the genes wasn't we didn't find much results in that genetic study. Um, I'm not a geneticist, so I don't want to speak too deeply on that genetic study. But, you know, the point was to compare the genes. Um, so uh, to try to simplify the genetic study that we did, it was called Genome-Wide Association Study. So essentially, um, you take, um, so in. let's pretend we're doing just African-Americans mm-hmm. for now, Um We take a group of people that have bipolar disorder and a group of people that don't have bipolar disorder, and you compare um, all their genes together, okay? And you say, are, which of these genes are more common in people that have bipolar disorder versus people who don't have bipolar disorder? Um, and you and through those large series of comparisons, some of them will stand out more as being more Um, common in people that have bipolar disorder, so that could be contributing to the disease, right? So that's that's the study that we're trying to do. But it, it's you don't find many things if the sample size is not large enough. You're not powered to. That's the mm-hmm. statistical term. So, um, so anyway, all of that to say, I think I thought for myself in this project, the larger the larger thing to address is this lack of participation. So we went to do a community engagement study, um, essentially trying to engage the community to educate and try to understand why there's not enough participation and to also, um, and to also figure out how we can increase participation. What, what do we at the, as the research community need to do to convince you that You know, it's important to participate in this research and we can be trusted and we will include you in this and give you the results as well. Because a lot of time, you know, a lot of the time you go into people or scientists will go into communities and ask for help. And then a lot of the complaints that community members have is they never told us what happened with that study. They never gave us the results. So we don't want to do that. We want it to be a cyclical process where we start with the community and end with the community. And it goes round and round because that at the end of the day, who is this supposed to help? Individuals with bipolar disorder and their families that are affected by it and friends that are affected by it. So the study that we um, went to go do is to go to a a community that has a high percentage of African-Americans and try to understand, you know, their access to to their community health centers and um, what their opinions are of participating in mental health research for one and genetics research for another. And where this took place? This is in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. So you guys have a partnership there? Yes. So we have a, so that one of the things I love about Mayo Clinic is that they have a lot of pre-existing partnerships. So that made it very, um, it made the um, team members at UMMC very amenable to any additional um, partnerships. So we created another partnership with the Department of Psychiatry down there and talk to them about, you know, the disparity that we discovered. Well, not that we discovered. It's already been discovered. Mm-hmm. But the disparity that we are researching and wanting and what we want to do about that. And 
you know, this really goes back to the genetics aspect of it, too, because that's a unique way to address health disparities, in my opinion. And we need larger numbers for that genetic study. So why not go to a place where there's a high, you know, percentage of African-Americans in that community? Mm -hmm. So um, we want to build a biobank there. A biobank is essentially a... um, Reposit a place where to deposit DNA so that that DNA can be used for genetic studies. For different studies, or in this case, just? Uh, in this case, um, bipolar disorder genetic studies, but okay. in the future, other studies as well. You know, okay. we can collect di- um, other, other people's DNA who have different diseases or who have no disease at all to serve as the control group. Um, so what do you guys find out in your um, listening session, your... Yeah. So, you know, in the partnership from um, Mississippi, we went down there and, you know, communicated with them and tried to understand who were representatives of the community that really valued research and talked to them about what they thought the challenges would be of participating in this biobank and participating in, you know, an advisory board that would guide the development of a biobank. And what we found, you know, the reigning things are privacy. They're really concerned about confidentiality and privacy. You know, they're saying, if I participate on this advisory board that's supposed to help, uh, you know, that's supposed to, we're supposed to convince people to come to this biobank. Are there any repercussions on me? You know, are, is what I say on this, during these board meetings confidential? You know, because I could say some things that may be seen as inflammatory. So privacy was an issue. Transportation, believe it or not, is an issue. Um, you know, getting to and fro, participating in research and going to give your blood when, you know, it's a 40-minute bus ride. Is it worth it to them? Probably not. Um, but, you know, try, trying to educate and say it, it is worth it and, you know, trying to find the funds to also give some money to help with that transportation mm-hmm. and to help with other other um, expenses that may be related to it. So it's very, it's, it's all very exciting. Um, there are some benefits that they saw too. They're like, yeah, we, these, these are some barriers, but there are also benefits, benefits of changing history, <laughs> you know, changing, being a part of changing history in the sense that we're building a community of people who see the value of research and see that there's a new age of scientists that, you know, values, really values community um, involvement and, and is altruistic in their endeavors in the sense that we're really here to understand what the issues are and address them with you. Um, so I think that's, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of it. It's, it's really cool. So that was part of the, let's say, planting. Now you guys are going to, about to have a, your first advisory board? Yes, yes. Meeting? Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, what are it, someone needs to do? What is the late work before that? Um, well, so... Can you yeah, explain it for somebody who's... Sure, sure. So... Interesting. Yeah, so just at, at establishing that partnership with the, um, with the university or the medical center that you're going to collect the biobank is the first and foremost thing. And, and luckily with Mayo Clinic, we had that relationship already. You know, it was just up to us to come and explain... Why, why this was important and why we wanted UMMC to do this with us, you know, not just help us do it, mm-hmm. but do it with us and be very involved. Um, I, see, I see, you know, the involvement of 
uh, myself and um, researchers at Mayo that are doing helping me do this um, as consultants, essentially, because we did a community advisory board here in Rochester, Minnesota. But as you already know, it's not going to be very representative of the entire population of the United States. So, you know, uh, explaining that to them and saying, you know, we have the, we've laid the groundwork of, bi- of doing a bipolar biobank, of doing a survey with patients. We've laid that groundwork and we would love to consult with you so we can do that here because that's, that's a unique opportunity to really get minority recruitment strategies. So we, we, we built that relationship and continue to cultivate it and ask for their help on community members that they felt would, you know, be interested in psychiatry and be interested in bipolar, have some closeness to mental illnesses. So, you know, we were lucky in that, you know, the medical center has community involvement down. You know, they, they really involve the community in a lot of the things that they do. So it wasn't very difficult to pinpoint community members that would be interested in serving on this board. And then that focus group slash community-engaged studio that we held back in November really opened our eyes to what the barriers would be to getting people to participate on the board. So we addressed those concerns. And now in the first board meeting that we're having two weeks from today, um, you know, that will allow us to address their concerns by, you know, giving them the background in bipolar disorder that they want, giving them the genetics research researcher, you know, we're bringing a genetics researcher and saying, this is a genetics researcher that studies bipolar disorder. She's going to tell you a little bit about what she does and the importance of it. And she's going to tell you the importance of minorities being represented in this research as well. Um, because it not only does it help minorities, but it also helps us understand bipolar disorder as a disease. Because if you only understand the disease in one population, you don't really understand the disease. You have to understand it in all types of population because there could be such a variety. Affects everybody. Exactly. affects everybody. And there's, there's so much more to learn about the disease um, in all populations. So I'm excited that the, commu- you know, the community members will be coming for that and being able to hear about that. And there will be a liaisons. There will be a links to the, the rest of the community, the patients, um, and they'll hear about that and know that the importance of it and communicate that so that that lays the groundwork so that when we start collecting DNA and saying, we want to do this genetic study in bipolar disorder, and someone can say, oh, I remember someone telling me that this is important, and mm-hmm. they'll be more apt to participate. At least that's the hope. Um, so, you know, the work is still being done. Um, you know, two weeks from the table, we'll have that board meeting, we'll get more feedback, and we'll continue to have board meetings and get out in the community, post flyers, and get their involvement in how to recruit, you know, things like that. So I'm, I'm excited well, to do this. Excited. A lot of work that you're doing. Yeah. So you're going to be going back, and you were there in November. Yes. So I just want to close with a question on your foodie search of <laughs> delicious dishes. What was yeah. a good dish that someone going to Mississippi have to experience in oh. your experience? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so going to Mississippi was for work, and I was only there two days, so I only ate at the restaurant hotel. However, it was good. Even though I didn't have coupons, it's delicious. <laughs> um, I can't even remember the name of it. 
Oh man, it's it's. Well, you have something in your list? Have you done some research at places you have to to eat in Jackson, check Mississippi? It out? No, that's the cr- you know that's the crazy thing. I okay, challenge accepted. All challenge right. accepted. I can't believe I haven't right. researched People can places. follow you on Instagram. <laughs> check your pictures yes. that you're going to be posting. Yes, on your- yes. I'm actually thinking about starting a food blog now that you mentioned that. I'm, I think I'm going to start yeah. a food, food blog. Yeah, I, know, I have I- to. When we were in Atlanta, <laughs> you were describing to me, I was just too excited. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I get very excited when, when there's good food and a coupon involved. So. Awesome. <laughs> Margaret, thank you for sharing your uh, your work with us and uh, your story. And I'm sure you're going to be back and give us more updates. Absolutely. Because this is great. Uh, thank you. The, like you said, me. the more we get everybody involved, uh, we all benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank and you. I want to invite everybody to follow us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on iTunes. Share this episode. Find us on their Community Board Podcast. Also on SoundCloud. You can find us on their Community Board Podcast. On Twitter, on the Community Board. And Facebook, also Community Board. All right. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter, about a certain research, can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk. If you talk to the people from the board, why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news to get more culture?